We're going to begin in verse 21 this morning as we are looking at two miracles which Jesus performed in our passage, and with that we're going to actually spend two weeks on this passage. We're going to look this morning and see through the individuals that were impacted by Jesus' miracles to get an understanding about who we are. And the next week we'll return to this same passage and we'll see how Jesus responded to the same things to see who we are to be. As Christians, we are called to be disciples of Christ, followers of Him. We are to walk as Jesus walked. The Bible says we are to have the mind of Christ. We are to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. But a lot of us have learned in life that this is more difficult to do than actually what the Bible commands us to do, and sometimes we struggle with it. So in looking at this one situation from the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see, again, two things. This week, we're going to look at how we might respond to situations as the people did around Jesus, and next week, how we should respond as we are to imitate Christ. The prayer I have for the next couple of weeks for all of us, including myself, is are we reacting the way we should to situations in life as a, as a child of God? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we seeing things and living our life and reacting to things and perceiving things through our sinful eyes? Are we seeing them through the perspective of God? The Bible tells us that we are to ask. And I think that's the easiest thing for us, is to ask questions to God, to ask questions about life. But the Bible also tells us in asking, we are to seek and we are to knock for the answers. I believe it's important for us to understand because the way God views things It's calling us to overcome the way we might view things through our weakened and our limited state of mind. The ultimate goal is for us to move from being potential Christians. That is, that we would move to become kinetic Christians. A potential Christian is an individual who really doesn't do much. They aren't moving. They aren't active. But a kinetic Christian is one who has the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit inside of them. And they do things. They make things happen. And they make change. So let's begin in our passage this morning. Again, we're in the Gospel of Mark. Mark follows after Matthew, right before Luke, in chapter 5 and verse 21. And the word of the Lord says, And when Jesus had crossed again to the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, being Jesus, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments... I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, 
There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumni, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come into your presence to worship you, for you are worthy. You are holy, holy, holy. You are the Alpha and Omega, the Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are our provider, our shepherd, our warrior. And Lord, we come before you as your children, and we ask that you open our ears, that we might hear your voice speaking to our hearts, and that we would be transformed more into your likeness, to understand our own limitations, and Lord, what you're trying to call us to is something greater than that, and you've empowered us with your spirit to do so. So Father, I pray that you just use me as an instrument of your righteousness, but don't let me get in your way. Again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we now open it and your spirit can guide and lead us through it. And I pray that you alone be glorified, that your kingdom and will be done in this place. And Father, if there's someone here who does not know you as their God and their Lord and Savior, Father, I beg that your spirit would reveal that to them today before we leave. Forgive us if we failed you, if we've not been worshiping you in spirit and truth. But continue to be glorified in this place. And praise on the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're actually going to take this passage and we're going to go from back to front. So we're going to begin in verse 38 and 40, where we read that they came to the house, being Jesus, James, Peter, and John. And they came to the house and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. Can you imagine that, laughing at the Son of God? Of course, they don't fully know who he is, but they're laughing at his comment. But he, Jesus, put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, being the three disciples, and went into where the child was. Again, what I want to do this morning is I want to take us from the end of the passage to the front of the passage. And to begin this morning, I'd like for us to almost visualize, maybe you're one of those that has to close your eyes to visualize, but to put yourself in Jairus' house in this moment, to feel the emotions that are going on, to feel the pain in the house at the loss of a child. Imagine the pain you would be going through if you lost your child, if you lost a daughter, a son, a husband, a wife, a dearly close friend. 
Just place yourself in this room and imagine those who are in pain and they're leaning upon one another. They're crying on each other's shoulders. This room is filled with pain and sorrow. This room is filled with despair and questions. And now we come into Jesus' world here. Jesus enters the house and is full of commotion. And it would appear that the family doesn't understand or he doesn't understand the situation because he asks the question, why are you making a commotion? Why are you weeping? Again, if we were in this room and we're filled with pain and emotion, we would probably look at this individual who just stepped in. And maybe we've heard the stories about him. But we probably look at him and say, this is the most insensitive human being to walk the face of the earth. To come into this room and make such a statement about why are we weeping when this 12-year-old girl has just died. This guy, Jesus, is the rudest person I've ever met. But we have to keep in mind what the people in the room know. Because these people with whom, these are the people that we can relate to the most in this passage. They knew the daughter of Jairus was dead. Therefore they knew also that death meant the end. They knew they would no longer be able to talk to her. They were no longer be able to sing with her. They were no longer be able to hold her hand or to watch her dance or hear her smile or laugh. To the people in this room, to this family, this was the end. It has come. But then we see inner God. We have to come to the realization, it should be obvious, that in life we are limited. There are limits to the things we can do. There are natural laws. There are, are laws of order. We're never going to be able to fly like Superman. And if we try, we're going to crash horribly to the ground. A lot of us, if we've gotten older, we've noticed... Our bodies have gotten limitations. We try to go out and do the things we used to do, thinking in our head and convincing ourselves that we can go pick up a game of football in the backyard. We can go out and run. We can play basketball. And then, if you're like me, the next day you get that reminder. Oh, you're limited now. You're getting older. Your body is getting weaker. The problem in understanding that we have limits is this. Sometimes we can place limits on God. Sometimes, and we may not even do it on purpose, we assume that since we have limits, maybe God has limits. And with our limits we place on God, we then place God in this nice little box, this nice little package. This is the constant theme of God's people in the Bible is that God can only do so much. This wrestling that God is only in certain places. We see it from the Old and to the New Testament. That people struggling with the impossible and then placing those impossibilities on God. That not even God can fix this situation. We limit God. And I want to talk about three ways that we limit God. One way we limit God is we limit God in the church. One of the the main ways I've seen people limit God in the church is to limit the church to a building. Physically, the church building is nothing but that. It is a building. A building where we congregate together. A building where we meet in the fellowship and in the name of the Lord. But biblically, the church is more than a building. The church is more than seats to be filled. God did not create this beautiful thing that we call the church to be limited to a place where we sit every single Sunday. God has placed us as a church for a purpose. This building is not the church we should see because here's the thing. This is not the church, the building. It's 
not the church that God sees. When God sees the church, he sees his people. He sees his people gathering in his name to bring him glory. And so we cannot allow our limitation to be placed on a building that the post office can find or that we can give an address to. Here's the thing is the church is you. The church is me. The church is all of us together. We are the body of Christ. The danger of this limitation is we begin to view the church as a place where we gather and the preacher preaches. The teacher teaches. And sometimes we can limit God in the church because that's the only place we actually meet with God. And that's the only place we actually actively dive into God's Word. Henry Blackaby wrote this in Experiencing God. Find where God is working and join Him. Why? Because that's the spiritual and biblical church. When God's people are working together for the kingdom of God to bring Him glory. Not only the physical location of the church, we can limit the church by limiting the church. By believing that the church is 10% of the family of God working, or even 90% of the family of God working. But the church cannot thrive on 10% or even 90% because God tells us in his word, the church needs everyone. If this is where God has called you to be, whether you're officially a member here or not, but this is where God has planted you, that means God has called you to be a part of what is happening at Harvest Hill, to be a part of the church family. Praise the Lord, God did not bring any of us here to sit back and relax and be amazed at what is actually going on and what God is doing. God brought you here to be involved in his kingdom, to be involved in the gospel message. And so if this is where God has called you to be, if this is what you feel is your church family, even if you haven't made an official membership statement, God has brought you here to be involved, to get plugged in. See, God is asking us to do something and be a part of something. No, he's not asking. God is telling us, do something. Be a part of something. Because he has brought you here. So the question of, well, nobody ever asked me, is thrown out the window. Because God's already told you. Get involved with your family. We might bring excuses up when it comes to being involved in the ministry of the church is that, well, I don't have time. Or I'm not sure that I'm actually ready. You know, I've learned about myself and I've learned about people is we'll make time for the things we deem important. So when we say, well, I don't have time to do that, that may be true. But if we keep saying that over and over again, I bet you're finding time for other things. And if we say, well, I don't know if I'm really ready to do that. I don't really know if I'm ready to lead children's church or if I'm really ready to lead a small group or if I'm really ready to lead on Wednesday night. Let me just tell you, you are in the perfect place to be. Because the moment you think you can do it, you're going to get in the way of what God wants to do through you. See, God wants to use you in a mighty way. And once we say, well, I can do it, I'll do it in my power instead of his. Another place we limit God as we limit God in our hard times. And for some reason, I haven't quite grasped myself, but I do it too. I buy into the lie of the devil that maybe God can only do so much. We might not come right out and say it. I mean, this is what's going on in our passage. They had limited the power of God. But a lot of us buy into the lie that it's hopeless. 
And perhaps God doesn't even understand what is going on in our lives. He's not even listening. We buy into lies, and so then we worry, and we worry about money, and we worry about food, and we worry about appliances that go out. We worry about the bills, and we worry about our kids, and we worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. And what we do is actually reveal to ourselves that we have eyes that look to the physical more than the spiritual, and we believe that things just cannot be done. It is impossible. But you all know the verse I'm nearly go to, aren't you? With God, what is it? All things are possible. And that's a lesson he's trying to teach us throughout the entire scripture. But I'll tell you what, I'll confess, I'm like you. I want, I want this road of life to be a lot smoother. I, I kind of wish God would kind of fill in the potholes and things would just be flattened out because, you know, I, I don't want to get scratches and chips on my heart. I don't want to get bruises. Sometimes fear will arise when the hard times arise. But again, I'm going to turn to a passage of Scripture which God tells us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So when those fears rise in the hard times, we need to take our eyes on what we can see and what we can understand and turn our eyes to our Lord and Savior who can do anything in it. And that doesn't mean it's going to go exactly the way we want it to. It doesn't mean we're going to get our prayers answered exactly the way we think they should be. But we are going to trust in him that he can take care of anything. Because he is the God over everything. Sometimes we ask ourselves, or we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to be an individual that's willing to stumble? Are we willing to be a child of God that's willing to fail at times and fall are we willing to get a little beat up, to get something done? Or are we going to be that child of God that wants to take a detour? And I look in Scripture and I see God doesn't want detour Christians. He wants off-road Christians. He wants ones that have the faith to follow God in this adventure. Because what I've learned in my own life is when you take a detour from God's plan, it just takes longer for God's plan to come about. His plan will always come about. His will will always be done. And he invites us to be a part of it. The final thing we limit God in is we limit God in our worship. And I don't, I don't think we have this here, but I know a lot of us have come across this in our own time in, in church life. We need to hear this straight out and flat out. God doesn't care about our musical preferences. He doesn't. He doesn't care if you like Southern gospel or if you like traditional hymns or if you like the new contemporary music. God doesn't care. You know what God cares about when it comes to worship? He cares about a heart. He cares about a heart that is loving him with everything it has. And so when we come to worship or we go to a place of worship and say that we can't worship because there's one particular style or there's certain types of instruments, what we're saying is that we're going to limit God in worship because of our preferences. What we prefer, not what he prefers. And he prefers a heart of worship that worships him in spirit and truth. Worship calls us to love God with everything we have. That's the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put it all in there. But not only in styles, we can limit our worship by worrying about what other people think while we're worshiping. And I'm ashamed I've done this myself. There's been times that I have felt the Spirit of God calling me to close my eyes or raise my hands in the air to worship him and adore him and 
cry out his worthiness and his holiness, but then I think, what will other people think? What, what might they say? They're going to make them uncomfortable? There's been times we've been singing songs where I've wanted to shout out hallelujah and amen and clap before the song's over. Oh, that could be awkward. You know what happens when we do that? I don't know if anybody else has done that. You know what we're actually worshiping in that moment? Other people. And we're limiting God. And God moves in our heart to show our love for him. And we have a fear of what other people may say or think or react. We limit our worship. We limit our love. Let's look back in our passage, verse 35. And while he, Jesus, was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? The times really haven't changed. The Bible speaks truth when it says there's nothing new under the sun. If we were pressed in this same situation with the same family, a member dying, we would come to the conclusion, as they have in this moment, that it is over. It's an obvious conclusion. What it does is reveal something about ourselves here, is that we lose hope. But like we've already mentioned, enter God. Like all people, we want our prayers to be answered immediately. We pray like we're told to pray or we've been taught to pray. And we may even pray the Lord's Prayer word for word and verbatim. And when things don't answer the way we think they should be answered, you know what we do? We lose hope. God's not listening. Why bother him anymore? He's not paying attention. And the reason that is is because we live in this world Especially today where we can have everything immediately, right? We can download a new song the day it's released. We can download a book and have it immediately in our hands. We can download a movie and watch it from our home. We can make phone calls to people hundreds of miles away and have an immediate conversation. We can send texts, and you all know what happens when you don't get a text back, don't you? Keep looking, keep looking. Hey, did you get my text? Because we want immediate We want immediate response. We can send messages and emails. Everything in our world is instantaneous. So when we come to God and we ask him for things, we lift up our prayer requests, and he responds in this way, hey, be still. Be quiet. Just wait on me. And we get kind of spiritually uncomfortable. If I would have had that mindset and everything that happened in my life, the things didn't work out the way I wanted them to or how I wanted them to or when I wanted them to, here's the truth I know that Jamie and I never would have gotten married. If it had to happen my way, at my time, Jamie and I never would have gotten married. So I'll tell you this, wearing down a college cross-country girl takes a lot of work. Because cross-country girls and boys, they have a lot of endurance. And so it took a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I remember when I was chasing after her and when I saw her and I, I wanted to get to know her and I started chasing after her and pursuing her in a relationship, it felt completely hopeless because she wanted nothing to do with me. And I was convinced God laid it on my heart. He gave me the vision. That's the one. And she obviously didn't get the same message at the time. And so I kept pursuing after and pursuing after. And I shared this before. I eventually became known as Mike the Stalker. That was what her friends called me. But I, I wanted to know her. 
And what happened is I began losing hope. And I eventually had to get my heart right in the right place. I, I came to this understanding, and God revealed it to me, that I needed to pursue after him even more than I was pursuing after her. He had to be my heart's delight. And when my heart got in the right place, that God was the top. He was the pinnacle. He was what my heart needed. I saw prayers answered. And I'll tell you, I prayed Scripture. Because they say, you know, you should pray God's Word because there's power in God's Word. And so I prayed Scripture, and he wouldn't answer, and I kept losing hope. But we eventually got married. And this December, we're going to celebrate 20 years. But God taught me several valuable lessons through that process. One, it's not my timing, and it's not our timing. It's his. And if I could persevere after my God the way I persevered after her, then I would be in a lot better spot. But who here hasn't lost hope? Things aren't going the way you're wanting them to go. Prayers aren't being answered the way you think they should be answered or how they should be answered or when they should be answered. You watch the news and the world just seems to be going further and further into darkness. We lose hope. But that's why we have God. Because he is to be our hope. We can lose hope not only in prayer and pursuing after God, but we also lose hope in the church. Sometimes Sunday mornings we can look around and be like, wow, there's not really many people here. Must be something going wrong. We're not being successful. And I said this a couple months ago we have to stop measuring success by the standards of the world and measure success by the standards of God. And God looks for growth and He looks for His children to be those who are going. That's success biblically. Jesus was always around crowds, but you'll notice if you read through the Gospels, there's times. Frequently, he dismissed them. He does it in our own passage here. He dismisses the house. He wasn't there for a spectacle. But if we put it in perspective, what, what, what if God did what we do? What if God, when this world became corrupted by sin, just threw up his hands, lost all hope, and called it? What if God didn't have a plan to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for sin and take his wrath what if God just said, no, I'm done? Then we wouldn't have hope, right? But we know he did. And God has from the very beginning, he will continue to do in our lives. God always has a better plan. And his ways are always far beyond our ways, and his understanding is far beyond our understanding. So therefore, we can't lose hope even in uncertainty. Look with me in verse 31. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? <laughs> Let's just put ourselves in this situation again, okay? We went to the house, now we're in the street with the crowds, okay? So Jesus, they, they just arrived, remember? So Jesus taught some parables. He sailed across the Sea of Galilee where they came in contact with a man possessed by multiple demons who gave his name as Legion. He cast the demons out. Crowd comes to Jesus and hey, please leave. So they come across, back across the sea. Oh, we forgot. When they went the first time, they came across a big storm. 
And Jesus was taking a little power nap, right? And so they come back across the sea. And as soon as they come, this massive crowd comes around them because Jesus just drew people to him. And they're pressing all around Jesus. They're reaching out for him. They're wanting to see him. They're wanting to, to hear him. They want to see uh, the miracles he could possibly do. And the disciples in this moment, in the midst of this crowd, are doing their very best to keep people off of Jesus. Because at this particular moment, verse 31, Jesus has been summoned to Jairus' house because his 12-year-old daughter is at the brink of death. And so disciples are trying to get Jesus through this crowd as quickly as possible so they can get there before she dies. And in the midst of all of this noise, all of this commotion, imagine the body heat coming off of people. Imagine the body odors and the sweat. Jesus stops in the middle of it. Disciples just trying to be good disciples. And he stops and he asks the most preposterous question of all. Hey, who touched me? It's like he's offended. <laughs> and if I was a disciple in this situation, and I'm trying to bulldoze Jesus, I'm being his, like his bodyguard, I'm trying to bulldoze him through this crowd to get to this dire situation of a dying daughter, I probably would have been a lot like Peter in this moment, and Jesus turns around and asks us, you know, who touched me? I would probably look at Jesus like, big deal. What do you mean, who touched you? Are you serious in this moment, Jesus? You want to know who touched you? And I would probably start pointing out people. Well, you know, I think that guy over there did. I think she may have. You know, we kept the smelly one away from you, and we made sure the lepers didn't get close. But beyond that, I don't know, Jesus. Look around you. You see this massive crowd. Look at all these people. And you want to know about one person who touched you? Ha ha, Jesus, let's go. But this is what we do. And that's why I love we see the human side of disciples. We look at the obvious. We see how hard something's going to be. We see how much work it may take. And we counter God with, Lord, are you serious? In the midst of all the obvious, God is trying to tell our heart, stop looking at the obvious around you. And keep your eyes on the obvious me. One thing I love about God is he's never going to ask me and he's never going to ask you to ever do something without a reason. Everything God tells us or leads us to do has a purpose. Whether it's a big thing, whether it's a small thing, whether it's an easy or chaotic thing, whether it's simple or crazy, there's always a reason when we're on God's plan. And sometimes we are going to only see the obvious, but God says, I want you just to be obedient in this. I want you to trust me in this. I want you to rely on me. And sometimes when we do that, we see that God is just kind of moving us out of danger. And sometimes he's just moving us back into his will. God is never going to place a ministry or a need in front of us so we can question whether or not he's lost his mind. He's never going to bring people to the church to wonder, okay, uh, should we allow them to come in? Should we let them do what they're doing? God draws people to himself. He's never going to put it on your heart to go and witness to your neighbor or to your family member or to your coworker or to your, your, your other students at school, to your peers. He's never going to put that on your heart just to see you wiggle and just to see you get a little uncomfortable and see you squirm. God isn't going to be, bring people to this church who are falling apart so we can figure out as a church how do we get rid of them the quickest. 
He doesn't bring people here just to ruffle our feathers. He always has a reason for everything. But if we continue to look at the obvious only things that we can see, we're always going to end up asking, God, are you serious? Are you serious in this moment? Yet again, going to Scripture, God calls us to live by faith, not by sight, not by the obvious. Our God works beyond the obvious. Just read the Scriptures. So we have to stop asking God if He is serious and start stating that this, it is impossible. But God, with you all things are possible. And then ask God, okay, well, God, what do you want us, what do you want me to do in this situation? How can I handle this situation to which you are going to be glorified? How can I handle this situation to which other people can see you in me? God reminds us throughout Scripture that the battles we face in life, guess who they actually belong to? Him. We may go through the battles, but he's in control of the battle. So we have to stop looking to what we know or what the world tells us to know because God doesn't live by our standards or by the world's standards. God built this whole mess that we live in, that we call life. Therefore, he can do whatever he wants with it. The good news is that God, he knows our limitations. God knows our fears. He knows our hesitations. He knows our times of lack of hope and our times of desperation. He God knows how much you know <laughs> and how much you don't know. And yet he still wants to use us so that he can be glorified. And this is why we're called to continue to preach the gospel. This is why we're called to continue to be used by God, to look beyond what we can see as these people did in our passage and to see what Jesus can do in it. But if you're here this morning you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I have something to tell you. God is not your God. He's not your God. But God brought you here to change that, and that's why we call it the gospel. It means good news that God created you for a relationship with him. You were created. You were born in this world to be in a relationship with God, but it's your sin that's separating you from that relationship. And if that sin problem is not taken care of, you will die in your sin and be eternally separated from the God who loves you. And it's not about us doing anything. The way our sin situation can be dealt with is we come before God and we tell God that we are a sinner, but we believe God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth a perfect life, to die for our sins on a cross, to be placed in a tomb, and to come out three days later to show that He has the authority and power to forgive us our sins and give us eternal life. And if you're here this morning, you've yet to make that confession of faith. Let me tell you this. You are separated from the God who loves you, and if that does not change and you die in your sins, you will end up in a place that the Bible defines as hell, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal torment. But God doesn't want that for you. He has a better plan. And so if you're here this morning like, well, I need, I need that. I've yet to make that confession of faith. I'm going to be standing here. We call this a time of invitation. And I'm going to invite you to come down, and you can just sit down in the front row. I'll sit by you, and you can say, hey, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I need to be in, back, in my relationship with, back in a relationship with God. But maybe you're here this morning, and you're going through something, and you can only see what's in front of you. Remember, God's got it. God's in control.
and it will all work out for his good and glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for fighting our battles and winning them. You are the God of victory. And so, Lord, whatever we're going through, whatever we go through as a church, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, and not the things that are surrounding us, not the things that people think or the things that people say, but, Lord, that our eyes are on you, and we just, we're relying upon you to do what only you can do. I thank you so much for what you've done in this church family. I thank you for the way you've been glorified, and we've seen your kingdom working and your will being done. We've been seeing people saved. We've been seeing new people come and be a part of this church family. Father, we're here for you, and let us only be here for you. Thank you for the individuals and the kids that come that just need a little extra love. Lord, thank you that you deemed us worthy of that challenge. But Lord, help us to love them in such a way that they see you and they come to know you. Lord, I ask you to forgive us where we failed you. This morning, if we have, and I lift up those individuals who are part of this church family who are going through a very difficult time. And Satan wants to bring uncertainty into their minds and onto their hearts, but Lord, I pray that your peace that surpasses all understanding is what overwhelms them. This time of invitation, Lord, I I ask that your spirit work on the people's hearts who may be here who are not saved, who who are not your children, in order that that would change today, this would be the day of their salvation. But Lord, whatever you've laid on our hearts this morning, as we come this time of invitation, help us to be obedient and to trust you in it. And praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.